Hello, I am Yogini Sunita and this is Meditation, Yoga and Stuff podcast. I believe my dharma or my life's purpose is to share my understanding of meditation, yoga and Ayurveda, holistic healing science of India. I make these amazing wisdoms accessible and adaptable for present time. So let's start. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Nicola. Welcome back, Nicola. I'm so happy that you're here joining us today. I'm very excited. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Nicola. And Nicola, I'm going to request you to introduce yourself once again for the listeners. Tell us about yourself. So my name is Nicola Ellis and I am the founder and director of Adore Yoga and one of the things that we do is train people to use yoga therapy and meditation mm-hmm. in often in clinical settings but not always so meditation teachers and yoga therapists who graduate from our programs work in private practice some of them work in education others work in hospitals and clinics and we also develop our own programs so there are adore yoga therapy and meditation programs running in a number of private and public hospitals in Sydney and elsewhere so that's the adore yoga side but I have a number of other hats so I have a master's in counseling and applied psychotherapy and I also work in the oncology space so I work with Cancer Council New South Wales and so my personal passion is psycho-oncology so that's psychosocial well-being particularly for people who are impacted by cancer so that that's what I'm really passionate about but yeah a number of different hats I just love working with yoga and meditation as adjunct therapies to support people with their health and well-being thank you Nicola oh my god you're doing such amazing work and I love your work really all these yoga therapy things you're offering and yogic background is quite deep as well can you talk a little bit about that? How long ago you started yoga? <laughs> a long time ago. I have been practicing yoga for over 30 years and teaching for just over 20 years. And I came to yoga not as an exercise practice. In fact, I didn't even want to come to yoga. It wasn't very cool back in the 80s when I first tried it. But I had started to experience some symptoms of anxiety There were a whole bunch of circumstances in my adolescence and early adulthood that led to me experiencing prolonged anxiety and some depression and then panic attacks. And the panic attacks were very frightening. I didn't know what they were. I had these incredibly forceful symptoms that just hit me out of the blue. I really thought I was going mad. I thought that I was going to end up being taken to a hospital and not allowed to leave, that I would never get well again. I quite honestly thought that I was losing my mind. And yoga was a very important part of my recovery. A friend, a very wise friend, suggested I try yoga and it didn't fix everything overnight. I can't even say I liked it when I first started doing it. (laughs) What I recognized is that when I did this, and it was a very simple practice, it wasn't what we might think of yoga being today, you know, a vinyasa practice, moving from pose to pose with music in the background and 40 people in a class all working together. It wasn't like that at all. It was a, a mature teacher in a drafty sports hall and there was not too much movement, but it was very 
mindful. And what we do, I now know that it was designed to uh, dial down the uh, sympathetic nervous system. So those fight or flight or freeze responses, which are so prevalent for people with anxiety or panic disorder. And through practicing and continuing to practice those techniques, I stopped experiencing the acute symptoms of anxiety and panic. I started to see a possibility for being normal again. I had got to a point where I thought, I'll never be normal. This is it. I'm broken somehow. But yoga showed me that I could have these moments of peace, of freedom from these acute symptoms. And so that started my lifelong dive into the therapeutic approach to yoga, how meditation impacted the body and the mind. And with my studies in Western psychology, understanding it within a Western scientific framework as well, because there's been so much great research done on yoga and meditation for mental health. And so that then became my path after using these techniques so successfully for my own recovery, supporting other people to learn them and then trained to become yoga therapists and meditation teachers themselves. So my vision is that everybody, everybody who experiences anxiety or panic or other similar symptoms can find a teacher, a yoga therapist or meditation teacher who is trained to provide techniques that are going to be appropriate for each individual because there's no one size fits all. Mm. I want everybody to have access to the kinds of practices that are really going to positively impact their well-being beautifully said nicola really i appreciate my personal experience is similar like yours like yoga has helped me a lot and that's why i started the podcast and i started teaching as well because i truly believe that I think yoga is such a wonderful thing. It has impacted our life. So we want to share it with everyone. Yes. <laughs> you know, everyone should get opportunity to experience this. And you put it very beautifully that you, know, you felt like you were almost like broken because of the anxiety. And that's the impact of anxiety. You know, it can literally cripple us in a way, you know. So today I would like to talk about yoga. Sorry. It helped you. And what can we do? Would you like to talk a little bit about meditation, yoga, and its relation? How can we use it to reduce this impact of anxiety, this almost crippling effect on ourselves? So would you like to share a little bit? I can. I can start to answer that question. But the answer to that question is there's many different facets to it. So Mm. what I would really love to do, and you know what, I'd be a wealthy woman, if I could give you the three-step solution to anxiety <laughs> through medica- meditation, <laughs> not medication, that's a different that's practice. A different. <laughs> <laughs> and there certainly are techniques that we will have all heard of and different styles or different traditions or organizations that offer a type of meditation. And there are students for whom that is exactly the right practice and they become evangelical and they say, oh, you have anxiety, you should do meditation X or go to group Y because they do this practice that's nailed it. It fixes anxiety. What do you mean there is no magic pill? Oh, my God, I thought there was. I know. What I'm saying is that there's no magic pill. There's no single technique for anxiety. What I can't do today is say, you know, Sunita, you've got some anxiety symptoms, do meditation practice A, and it's going to fix you. 
that's unfortunately, gosh, I wish that had worked. But, so well said, Nicola, because I know that you know what worked for me may not work for you. So that's what wisdom of yoga comes in play. Like we are unique fingerprint of divine and what we need is going to be very unique. So the practice may be worked for me, may not work for you. And this is where wisdom of yoga is. There are so many options. So would you like to talk a little bit about that? Because I know you have deep understanding on this. I would like you to share something about that. Yes. And and what I want to reassure people is that just because there's no simple magic pill or a three-step solution, I don't want anybody to feel put off by that or think, oh, this is going to be too hard. (laughs) It's too hard. Because it's not. It's just a question of finding out what practice suits you. And you know what? It's not even what practice suits you every time. Hmm. So I think the most important thing to understand is that if we find or create for ourselves a toolbox, Hmm. that we can pull the right practice at the right time from, then we're in a much better position to manage our mental health and well-being. Because it's like, I guess this is a kind of a superficial analogy, but I love, I love dal. Oh mm. my goodness. I love dal. Mm. Absolutely love dal. And I might say, oh, I could eat dal three meals a day for the rest of my life. But the truth is I couldn't. It's I not going to work. No, I would be very <laughs> bored with dal. And some mornings I wake up and I go, mm, I'd just like a piece of toast, please. Yeah. And then there's another day where I think, oh, I need some noodles, some ramen noodles. Mm. So there are different states of mind, different biological functions in our body that tell us, oh, I need this now. I need something else. I need a quiet night in Mm. with a good movie or I need to actually go out and connect with other people. Mm. And it's like that with yoga. There are going to be practices that we need at different points in our lives to suit different moods, different seasons, different circumstances that we're Mm. in. And so it's good to have a regular, consistent, foundational practice But it's also really helpful to have a flexible toolbox from which we can draw exactly what we need in that moment, depending on how much time we have or the environment that we're in or the type of anxiety that we're experiencing, because it can manifest in a lot of different ways. Mm. So I think a toolbox is the most important thing. And there are lots of ways, you know, how do I know what I should have in my toolbox? Mm. And everyone's toolbox is going to look different. And one way to determine what should go in your toolbox is to work with a teacher who is experienced, who has a profound understanding of human nature Mm. and an understanding of how the mind works and the impacts of different techniques of meditation on our moods and our physiology and our brains and other ways to try lots of different things. I think it's good to maybe uh, shop around and try different techniques because often we don't know what's going to be most beneficial for us until we've tried it. But a good teacher will be able to support you to determine what's going to be most helpful more quickly, I think. Beautifully said. I think flexibility of mind is very important as well. So, you know, as you said that, you know, different time of our life, different time of the day, different time, you know, what we need may change. So this is where we need to understand that there is not only one technique. There are so many different ways of technique. So when we say meditation, nowadays image comes in the mind that, you know, beautifully clothed women sitting <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a special cushion 
and you know and totally blissed out so is that what meditation is nicola what do you think <laughs> i that doesn't describe my personal practice <laughs> no look there are lots of different ways to practice meditation but there is one fundamental underlying approach or practice if you like that sits underneath all of the different schools and flavors of meditation and that is presence and one of the ways that we can achieve presence so by presence i mean being here now in this present moment hmm. without the dramas of the past playing themselves out in our present moment or the dramas of the past projecting themselves into our future anticipation so the the secret source or the holy grail of meditation is to just be here now it's, that's a well worn phrase but that's what we're aiming for well that's very easy to say that be here now <laughs> easy to say than do so so what can we do to bring ourselves now because my understanding is anxiety comes from the worry of future you know so what happens when we are in now like would you like to talk a little bit about that what changes when we bring ourselves into now and how can we do that so what changes when we come into the here and now is that we quiet the stories in our minds around our circumstances so as a long time yogi and you and i both know that the foundational definition of yoga according to patanjali's the godfather of mm. modern yoga is the definition of yoga is to still the stories of the yeah. mind and so much of our suffering particularly related to anxiety comes from the thoughts the stories that we are having about our present moment experience rather than our present moment experience mm. and those stories come from past experiences which can project into the present or into the future and that is what causes our suffering it's the thoughts hmm. and you are not your thoughts and your thoughts can be managed and can be changed and can be quieted and when those thoughts settle we can come into a present moment where there is no suffering from our thoughts so how do we do that hmm. well again another word that everybody's very familiar with is mindfulness yeah but mindfulness is not necessarily what a lot of people think it is so it has become buzzword isn't it <laughs> yes and that image that you just painted about the lady on the meditation <laughs> dress you know maybe in byron bay with all the neutral colored flowy clothes and maybe some bar a bit like no mindfulness yes. doesn't have to be sitting in lotus position with your eyes closed focusing on your breath that's become the default definition of mm. mindfulness but anything that we do which attracts our focused attention upon which our minds are exclusively focused that is mindfulness mm. so we can do anything in a mindful way and this is what i mean about there being different ways of practicing meditation to suit different people and different moods and needs mm. is that all of these types of meditation are just ways to bring us to a mindful present moment experience so i am settling all those stories that are running around in my head 
and I am actually able to experience the here and now with my full attention. Hmm. Hmm. That's it. But I may need a different technique to achieve that to you, hmm. to somebody right. else. Yeah. So I might need to use my body to experience that. Hmm. And using the body to bring ourselves into mindfulness is extremely useful, particularly with anxiety. So I know as somebody who experiences anxiety, if I'm told to sit down, close my eyes and meditate on the breath of my nostrils, I'm just tearing my hair out and leaving the room because it makes me feel more anxious Mm. (laughs) if I'm already anxious. Now, I can do that, but I have to be relaxed before I do that. That's not my anxiety Mm. (laughs) go-to. Then a lot of negative self-talk also happens that, oh, how couldn't I quieten my mind down? I I experienced the similar way. Like, you know, I started blaming myself. Oh, my God, how can I not calm my mind down? There must be something wrong with me. And then it increases anxiety. So I, I totally agree with you. So what can we do? So what can we do is find a practice that's appropriate. So for me, for example, I really think that using the body is an extremely helpful way of experiencing mindfulness Hmm. because it's tangible. Hmm. It's not sitting still, sitting still in silence amplifies the noises in your head. Focusing your attention on your breath can bring your attention to the fact that your breath is actually quite restricted and fast and that can make you feel even more anxious and, mm. and, and, and set off a negative breathing pattern of, of you know, mm. anxious, fast breathing. But when we come into the body, we can do that in a way that it has no expectations of silencing the mind or controlling the breath. So, for example, simply looking at one's hands, maybe rubbing the hands together, You can't see this, it's not on a podcast, but maybe you can hear the hands rubbing together. Moving my hands, spreading them out like starfish, closing them in. And as I do these things, feeling that when I rub my hands together, I can feel the texture and temperature of my skin. My palms, I notice that they get warmer when I do that. When I stretch my fingers wide into a starfish shape, I can feel the muscles stretching and flexing. And then when I curl my fingers into gentle fists, I can feel those muscle groups changing. I can feel the outer part of my hand. Mm. And it's much easier for me to absorb my attention in that ever-changing experience, that sensory experience of my hands moving because it's tangible and it's real. And as I focus my attention on that, my thoughts naturally start to settle. And then maybe I'll bring in the breath. So I'll inhale and spread my hands out wide and exhale and curl my fingers into gentle fists so now I'm regulating my breath but I'm doing it as part of a physical movement Mm. and it may not look much like somebody's idea of you know the perfect Bali meditation (laughs) but what it's doing is exactly the same it is regulating my breath regulating my body regulating my attention and bringing what my body is doing what my breath is doing and what my mind is doing into a single unified experience Mm. that I am now present to. And I'm not second-guessing myself. I'm not, how can I do spreading my hands and curling them into fists wrong? Because if you're just sitting there and your mind's racing and you're exactly as you said, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm no good at meditation, I can't meditate. I'm giving it up. That breaks my heart because everybody can meditate. Hmm. I totally agree with you. And you said it very beautifully that body is tangible when we are guided to lift arm up we understand this is arm and this i'm lifting up or open or close fingers and things like that so we can do this 
you can connect with it but sometimes if in guided meditation some imagery is given and we may not connect with that or we will ask ourselves am i doing it right or wrong so with the mind body connection with a lot of awareness of movements and mind's awareness towards the movement we can create this beautiful harmony with our body because most of the time i notice that we are out of our body like we are constantly sensing the world through our senses and we are not really in our body so these experience of movement helps us to bring back in our body and i think that movement with awareness has a lot of positive impact on our system and we can connect with our body you know it's very easy to connect with the body compared to you know connecting with the breath so once we learn to connect with our body then we can connect with the breath so it's a beautiful technique you explain and it is so doable like you know just moving fingers or opening closing your hands and then connecting with the breath and that calms the mind down like i was doing it with you and this is amazing you know so it thank is, you for and that look you know anxiety is a physiological experience it tell me about that it's, what are you saying not, so when we experience we think of anxiety as a mental health issue this is something that happens in my mind hmm. but we cannot separate the mind from the body and anybody who's experienced anxiety knows that it is a physiological experience mm-hmm. you feel it you may feel a lump in your throat or tightness in the chest or a knot in the belly some people experience issues with diarrhea or tingling in the fingers or sweating or going cold so it's highly physiological when anxiety is triggered for whatever reason it sets off a cascade of chemical reactions in our body that impact every the, the nervous system is goes on high alert and every organ in our body the whole nervous system the heart the way that the, the blood moves around the body the way that the muscles feel the digestive system everything is impacted by that hormonal cascade hmm. that is caused by an anxiety trigger and so if we're experiencing anxiety in the body it really helps to work through that in the body to rather than disembodying which is quite common in anxiety which is to kind of you see people who are very anxious kind of go trying to fight to get out of their bodies mm. almost, going mm. on the toes and it, it becomes all trapped in the head but when we come back into the body where the upshot of the cascade or the chemical cascade is being experienced we can start to control mm. those physiological experience to be present to them to start to re-regulate them to start to ground you're feeling your feet that's one of the first things i do if i start to feel anxious is to bring my attention into my feet to stand mm. up or to sit down and plant my feet onto the floor so coming into the body yeah it's a highly effective way of regulating all of those anxiety symptoms so well said nicola and i totally agree this sensing your feet or your toes is really grounding as we call it in wisdom of yoga grounding practices basically it helps us to connect with the support underneath us and it helps us to bring in our body so to speak and it helps us to basically ground us as if putting earthing wire into the mother <laughs> into the ground so that you know we kind of like let go of this anxiety and it is a constant learning because anxiety especially uh, we're going through this pandemic and now the great exhaustion 
time because we all as a humanity went through almost like a trauma and so obviously there is a lot of anxiety in relation to the financial things or jobs and things like that and in this situation there are things which are not in our hands and there are things which are in our hands and what is in our hand is our body and connecting our body with the breath and calming down our mind these are my thought process do you have anything to add on my understanding look what i would add to that is it's another technique you know you mm. said well what can we do and you've just said you know, we had the pandemic there's been this ongoing stress there's all kinds of instability in the world right now mm. which people are being affected by and what happens is particularly with anxiety is that we are now primed as humans we're primed for danger mm. for the negative it's one of the reasons why we're so successful as a species is that we're primed to for the danger for the bad stuff and that helps us to mm. manage it but if we just get stuck in that experiencing the bad stuff the stresses looking for the next problem which is what many of us have gotten stuck into since mm. the pandemic then it becomes very hard to re-regulate to to navigate our way out of these anxious states So a technique that is super super helpful is to look for the joy. Hmm. And I know that everyone talks about gratitude practices and that this is very popular. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm just an ungrateful person. <laughs> But when I'm super anxious or when my mental health is not good, I find gratitude practices really hard, especially if I'm trying to find something new every day to be grateful for. Hmm. When you're really in a hole, it's quite hard to find something to be grateful for. But a sister practice to gratitude that is extremely helpful and it's easy and effective is savoring. Oh, tell us about that. And there's really good science behind this as well, by the way. It's finding the joy in tiny things frequently. Hmm. And so if I had to stop and savor one thing right now, it would be mm, the place that I'm sitting. I've got a really nice cushion behind me. and i can say with the fact that i've got this support behind me that is comfortable and i can sit in a relaxed way and if we bring my attention to that part of my back and where the cushion is it just feels nice mm. and i can just spend a moment going ooh you know that's a nice thing mm. or i could do it with a cup of tea mm. i sit there and i feel the warmth of the cup in my hand and then i take a sip of the tea and i go ooh that so is very refreshing it's warm it feels mm. comforting it could be something so i'm just looking across the place that i'm sitting right now and i can see i can't even tell what it is from here but there's a color that's caught my eye and it's just the most beautiful reddish kind of color that's got this warmth and this glow about it and i'm just going to spend a moment going ooh that's nice ooh. and i'm giving myself it's not something that i have to meditate on for hours but i'm just giving myself long enough to feel the appreciation of that color or that sensation in my body or that smell or that taste just mm. going oh i can feel that that's a good thing and i'm appreciating that beautiful that. and these are little tiny moments of joy <laughs> that break up the worry the concern the challenges of the day and they bring that lightness and that joy and a moment of relief and when we practice this over and over again we start to retrain our brains to look for the positive to mm. find the joy to be more optimistic and hopeful and know that it's not just all 
gloom. Gloomy. Because it can seem like that, and that's not true. Mm. It's not true that things are just blanket rubbish. <laughs> well, the mind can play a trick on us, right? Like yeah. if we are, say, for example, going through this uh, pandemic and we open any news channel or any social media, it's constantly bombarded toward us. So we start seeing doom and gloom, basically, you know. And this is where I think it's very well said that finding joy in simple things because these simple things may not be like your, you know, big things, but these collective simple things. This is, I think we kind of like almost training ourselves to bring positiveness into our life. And so rewiring is very well said. I think that's very well said because our mind we almost like retraining our mind. And uh, from childhood, we hardly ever train our mind, you know. It's just wandering off without any, you know, <laughs> reins to it. And this helps uh, positively, almost like bring positivity in the life and joy in the life and counting blessings in a way. I like this practice. I think I will, I will work on this one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when it comes down to it, all that is, is mindfulness. I am just being mindful of the color. And being mindful of the sensation in my back where the mm. cushion, and being mindful of the taste of the tea in my mouth. And so when I do hear people say, oh, I can't meditate, maybe they had a bad experience mm. or they just decided their brains are too busy. Nobody is too busy brain to put a piece of chocolate in their mouth and just stop for maybe 10 seconds and go, and mm, really feel the pleasure of that moment in their minds, in their mouths, Feel how that feels in your heart, in your belly, and you know, just allow you to, yourself to take a couple of breaths. Everyone, that is mindfulness. It's not sitting on a hard stool in lotus position, <laughs> you know, reciting a complicated mantra. It's just going, mm, I'm loving this cushion. Hmm. We can all do that. And you said it's almost like retraining our brain. That is exactly what it is. We are retraining our hmm. brains from the habits that we have learned mm. over the years that we've dropped into and also our instincts as a human animal you know as i said before that that priming to look for the danger yeah and retraining ourselves so that our brains our minds we have the capacity to choose what we focus on and anxiety mm. is the inability to choose your focus mm. it's when your thoughts overtake you it's when the tail is wagging the dog <laughs> oh, that's so well said. I like that analogy. Very well said. And so when we say mindful, again, the social media and things like that image comes, people sitting in blissed meditative state. But you and I know that that's not the only thing for mindfulness. There are many ways we can come into mindfulness, even physical movement with awareness, you know, things like Tai Chi or Qigong or asana practice with a lot of awareness rather than just doing it mindlessly, doing it mindfully will bring more joy. Even washing your dishes with <laughs> mindfulness, you know, that can create that experience. So this is where I would like you to maybe mention the mindfulness, like it has become buzzword now. We can hear it everywhere. So can you talk a little bit about mindfulness? And so there are many ways we can bring mindfulness into our life. So can you give us a little bit, glimpse of few practices you can share with us? Like you did share, obviously, the 
moving hands and becoming aware of that. That's a beautiful practice you share about bringing awareness towards the simple joys of life. That's another thing we can do. And also, what else can we do? And I would also like you to talk about your program you offer on meditation and anxiety and a little bit more information on that. So the first part of your question about what else can we do, something that I think is underestimated and that I think is a really important prerequisite for a successful meditation practice is relaxation. Mm. And I think the two go hand in hand. It's very difficult to do any kind of formal meditation practice if we are tense. So the psychological tension, Mm. tension, the breath becomes tense, tension in the muscles and the physical body. So whatever it takes to unwind and relax, I am all for that. So that might be a lovely bath Hmm. or it might be some stretching or it might be a cup of herbal tea or it might be there are lots of all of the relaxation technique we teach on our course, progressive muscle relaxation. Hmm. We teach yoga nidra, which part of yoga nidra is focused on relaxation Breathing practices can Mm. be very relaxing. And all of those relaxation practices and movements, simple Mm. movements can be very relaxing. So they dial down that nervous system. They bring us into a state where we're more receptive, where we're able to make better decisions. So maybe I can do a practice just lying with your feet up, for example. I will caution against, I mean, one of the things about relaxation is what people think is relaxing. Yeah. (laughs) So scrolling on social media, I do that to relax or I flick on Netflix. Those experiences in terms of the way that your brain and your body respond to them. There's a psychologist called Csikszentmihalyi Mm -hmm. who coined the term flow. You might have heard this. So one of the keys to well-being is to move into a state of flow. And it's very similar to a meditative state where we're so absorbed in something, an activity, that time flies, where our minds and our breath and our bodies are completely absorbed in the practice that we're doing. Mm. So it might be, you know, painting a beautiful Mm. picture or walking in nature. We become absolutely absorbed in the practice that we're doing. And that's flow. And I've spoken to people who say, well, I just, I'll flick on something on Netflix because I kind of move into flow or I'm in flow when I'm scrolling through social media. And the psychologist who coined that term calls that junk flow. Mm, I like that. It's junk flow. So when we're doing things like watching TV or on social media, you know, something else or drinking alcohol, the other things or eating, just eating lots of chocolates or whatever it is that we're doing. That's a junk flow. And when I say relaxation is really good, being mindful that the relaxation technique that you're choosing is genuinely experienced by your brain and your body Mm. as relaxation because those things like TV, it actually overstimulates your brain even though you kind of have gone into this sort of state of zoning out. (laughs) So that's not what I'm talking about. So relaxation first. And then moving into practices that may be done in the body, like mindful movement, breathing techniques, 
contemplation of something. So that might be savoring, as I was just saying. It's something that we used to do as kids in the tradition that I was brought up in is grace before meals. Hmm. So you have a food brought to you and you look at the food and you appreciate it and you give thanks for what it is that you've been given. Now, you don't need a religious tradition hmm. to offer up some gratitude and then appreciate the meal that you're eating. All of these things are part of the practice of mindfulness, making a decision, a conscious decision about what you do next. Hmm. You know, I've got option A or option B, which one? is the path that is going to be most nourishing to my nervous system, which is most supportive of my community. Mm. I have a little mantra. Oh, so okay. You know, I have Let's a little mantra, which is, is this the path of love? Oh, beautiful. So when I'm doing something or making a decision about something, I often ask myself, is this the path of love? And whether that's love for myself in terms of self-care or love mm. for the people around me or love for the planet. Yeah. If this path is not adding to the experience of love somewhere in existence, then I need to question why I'm doing it. Mm. So another way of being mindful. Very well said. Yeah. When I'm making decisions. Mm. So these are all things that we teach in our program. So as I say, there's two main programs that we teach. One is yoga therapist training mm -hmm. so there's a first part of that which anybody who's interested in yoga therapy can come along and learn the foundations the basic practices and philosophies and then there's yoga therapist certification that's a big two-year course and mm -hmm. that's for yoga teachers who want to certify as yoga therapists and work in clinical and healing environments and then we also have meditation teacher training programs and again there's a a smaller program and that's open to anybody who wants to learn to use meditation more in their own lives so deepen their practice for people who want to add meditation we have a lot of psychologists teachers social workers life coaches who want to use meditation in their professional practice hmm. and then there's a bigger meditation course the meditation for mental health hmm. which is really applying all of these and many more techniques of meditation for specifically for supporting people with their mental health going forward so those are the programs that we run and they're all run online i'm based in sydney but we have students from all over the world at the moment i think i think our most distant student or oh, we have one in south africa and one in singapore mm. all right so very all very good yeah. yeah i think online thing has opened up these beautiful trainings for all over the world so that's really good mm. and thank you for sharing that you know because we used to look at mental health, you know, a few years ago, very negatively. But now it is a need of, and we all like a lot of acknowledgement about that. So I'll give you an example. I teach yoga to of law, like a lot of lawyers there. And when I started teaching there some 10 years ago, it was very interesting. There was why yoga enter in the of law, because there were a lot of suicide rates in that field because their way of relaxation was that negative flow you were talking about which was taking a hard drink at the end of the day so mentally exhausted and then to to relax their body uh, they were taking something which yes maybe physically initially relaxed but it's a junk flow you know it's basically negative way of relaxing the body so we need to understand that, is it a path of law? I love that statement. Like, is it what I'm doing is, is it 
love and kindness towards yourself or towards others it's again yoga's way of yamas and niyamas looking at that you know are we kind to ourselves i always talk about ahinsa you know and ahinsa is first principle of yoga which is a beautiful guide principle where we need to look at like are we being kind to ourselves and that stiff drink at the end of the day was not kind and obviously it was increasing the mental health issue and outcome of that was a lot of suicides which was very sad young people were dying and so that's why they introduced the yoga and meditation for their employees and initially there was resistance but now it has become go to thing so there is it's just that is mindset sometimes we have to change to look at it that this is a very positive way of bringing peace and calm in our life and and doing courses like what you're offering you know you don't have to go and teach anyone but this is for yourself like you will be so equipped with so many techniques that you can do it in any walk of your life whatever is happening you will have some technique to look after yourself emotionally mentally and physically so why not having these techniques in the life you know it's such a beautiful way of bringing this wisdom into the life and uh, so thank you for doing those courses i really appreciate that anything you want to add in relation to the courses like where can we find you all adore yoga so we're on uh, all the usual socials as adore yoga and uh, adoreyoga.com okay i'll Use put that in in the notes in this podcast so those who are interested can go on the website you will also see my face there because i'm also one of the teachers i'll be teaching uh, some part of these courses meditation or whatever nicola tells me you know well oh, no sunita you're such an important part of the program and our students absolutely love what you share and you offer it's, it's incredibly valuable so thank you for thank you. being such an important part of the program really really appreciate you being here and appreciate that you're offering such a beautiful program and i love the program the design because so much effort has gone into that and also all this wisdom so you take the wisdom of yoga and you also take the wisdom of science and you bring that together that marriage of two there's a lot of scientific basis it's not a woo woo land you know <laughs> It's, not. it's 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 a lot of practical things which you can bring it into your life without feeling woo woo you know <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm passionate about. I say that what we teach is evidence based mm. and a lot of what we teach both in the yoga therapy and in meditation does have a good hard science base yeah. however all good scientists hold space for mystery mm. You know, it's not a black and white, this is right, this yeah. is wrong. It's like, okay, so this is, to the best of our knowledge, this is the model that seems to be working. Mm. And so that doesn't mean that we have to exclude concepts like chakras, mm. for example, or the nadis, the energy channels in the body. And what I don't do is teach people, well, you definitely have these whirling vortices of energy and, you know, that. and what I don't do is say, oh, well, that's just, you know, a bit of, bit yeah. of woo-woo nonsense. What we do is say, okay, well, These are concepts that are mysterious that we can hold space for and mm. that for some people 
working with chakras or working with some of the concepts in yoga that maybe aren't validated by science, these might be helpful for people. And our Mm. subjective experience of it is that this is very useful. This is a model or a framework that is beneficial. Yeah, but what we're not doing is, you know, making spurious claims for the uh, the rock solid healing powers of crystals or chakras. <laughs> Take this pill and you will be yeah, enlightened. <laughs> that's not how it works. But we have this whole vast array of meditation and yogic tools at our disposal, and we find the ways that work for people. We where there is an evidence base, we'll share that. So. If there is an evidence base for something working, wouldn't you want to know about that? Mm. How mm. and why that works from a neuroscience perspective? So yeah. we delve into that, but we still hold space for the mystery, for the esoteric. You know, we're not just cutting through all of those ancient traditions that we don't have a Western explanation for. We're holding space for all of those mysteries as well. Beautifully said. And that's how the true yoga approach is because in the wisdom of yoga, we'll find that there are so many different paths. You know, and the reason for that is, is again, like we are unique fingerprint of divine. So what we experience, that is our own experience. And so, yes, these techniques are there and some may work for you, some may not work for you. So that's why you will see that there are so many paths, like thousands of paths on the wisdom of yoga. And we are learning like basically toolkits are there and you will see that some techniques work really beautifully at this point in our life and then sometimes we have to let go of that technique and move on to next one the concept is i think same in your courses that you're giving lots of tools and lots of opportunity to experience different tools and then students can choose or if they decide to you know teach it they can use any of these toolkits to share it with their clients so that's really you know, different toolkits. So that's training them to have basically mindfulness at their disposal in a way, you know, like different ways they can bring it into their life. That's right. I mean, the meditation program, certainly the first part of it is you learn how to practice and teach five different types of Mm. meditation so that you can find a practice that's going to work for whoever it is that you're teaching or for yourself, depending Mm. on what works best for you. And also at the end of that program, Students have a ready-to-teach five-week meditation course, Hmm. which they develop themselves. I I don't give them a blueprint and say, Hmm. go away and teach what I tell you because I somehow have the secret recipe for meditation, which, of course, I don't. But we we use structures and frameworks and tried and tested methods that support our students to develop their own five-week program that is ready for them to teach their students hmm. their student base and that might be that might be their kids hmm. <laughs> it might be their partner yes very well or so, if yeah. they're a yoga teacher it could be their students if they're a social worker it could be their clients so we teach them how to tailor make a course a program that's designed for their particular students beautiful very well said i really appreciate you creating these kind of program again i have said it many times but i am saying this because when I'm teaching these programs with you, the feedback of student is it speaks itself. Like we have received so many positive feedbacks and so many, you know, basically a letter of thanks, I can call them, you know, very well received. You know, a lot of people have experienced and learned a lot out of this, you know, because a lot of time people think meditation is just one technique or mindfulness is just one technique, but that's not the reality. There are many ways 
to bring this into their life. So these programs, I think, helps a lot of people to drop the ideas of what is meditation, what is not meditation, what is meditation, understanding that. And also understanding that relaxation is very important as well, you know. And I like the concept of positive flow, like how to bring in positive flow in life is very, very important. These are the courses we should be teaching our kids, you know, to deal with stress and deal with all this, you know, because we will be equipping them with so much of wisdom. You know, this is something if a parent learns or teacher learns and share with the students, next generation will be so grateful, you know. I couldn't agree more because my anxiety started as a child. Mm. The, the symptoms were very clear, but mental health wasn't talked about in the 1970s. And so my symptoms, which maybe would have been recognized and picked up today, mm. were absolutely overlooked or even punished as a child growing up back in the 70s. And I think had I been taught some of these practices, some of the practical ones, and uh, been offered tools that work that I could immediately experience in my own body that I'm no longer experiencing those acute symptoms, it would have changed everything. And I think I would have had a very different adolescence if I'd been supported with some of those skills. This is why I'm so evangelically passionate about these different techniques is that they have worked so beautifully for me and my own anxiety has been reduced significantly. So I know from my own personal experience that these techniques work. My own anxiety has been reduced significantly as and when those symptoms arise. I know how to work with them and manage them. And I've seen that success with so many students time and time again. And that's why I'm so passionate about supporting mental health, particularly anxiety, with these meditation practices. Thank you so much, Nicola. Once again, thank you for coming on the podcast today. You're most welcome. Your wisdom is amazing. And so sharing that with our listeners is, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure we will see you again soon. And those who are interested in Nicola's program, I'm going to put this all information on in the show notes. So you can click on the Adore Yoga's website. You can go and have a look at different things Nicola is offering and you might see me there as your teacher on one of the courses. Pictures of you there, Sunita. <laughs> Looking good. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us today. Have a beautiful day. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that, that you're taking this time out of your day. Don't forget to subscribe. Take care. Bye for now. <laughs>